Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Ladies and gentlemen, six is the magic number for this week. The Carolina Hurricanes are on a six-game win streak, and the Tracking the Storm podcast has made it to episode six. Thank God our operating costs are low. My name is Brandon Stanley. You can find me on Twitter at BWStanley26. I am joined, as always, by Alex at Future Canes and Matt at Canes Prospects. And this week, we are super, super, super excited to have a very special guest, None other than Carolina Hurricanes rookie forward, Steven Lorenz. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast with us this week, buddy. Again, yeah, thank you for having me. I, uh, I've been able to listen to a, a few of the episodes so far, just bits and pieces of it. And uh, I, I like what you guys are doing a lot. It's a great idea. So uh, I'm happy to be a part of this. Let's go. All right. So we'll jump right into some questions. Um, right. And I kind of wanted to start back at the beginning of your professional career. You know, you were passed over your first year of draft eligibility and then you're taken as a seventh round pick back in 2015. Um, you kind of had to overcome the odds and prove yourself really at every level. But obviously it's paid off because now you're in the NHL and, you know, earning your role as a real contributor on one of the best teams in the NHL. Um, and along with that, you know, people talk that talk about you kind of always seem to circle back to your work ethic and your kind of like infectious, positive personality. So to start, can you kind of just speak to how everything you've been through in your pro career so far is like kind of shaped who you are as a player and a person today? Yeah, I think um, or people think they, they, they get this idea that uh, you got to make the NHL at 18, have a long, successful career and stuff like that. And honestly, I think the best thing that's kind of ever happened to me is taking the long road. And that's with everything that I do. It, it, there's nothing wrong with taking a little bit longer than, you know, not everybody's going to be a Connor McDavid, you know, that first overall pick that jumps into the league right away. So I got to not only play in, in certain leagues and get to know a whole bunch of different people along the way, but it, it kind of shaped me as, you know, a, a person too. And I get to, you know, respect the fact that there are guys grinding it out in the East coast right now, as we speak with that dream of making NHL and, and it just, you know, it really humbles you knowing that at the end of the day, they play the same amount of games as, or maybe not quite as many games. But, you know, when it comes to playoff time, they play, you know, just like it's Stanley Cup. And that is their Stanley Cup. So it, it's very humbling knowing that these guys, they all just play hockey because they love it. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what league I end up playing in, whether it's the East Coast or the American League or the NHL. I'm just so happy and fortunate that, that I do get to play hockey as a job and as a career and, and I get to, you know, make money doing that. So the money on top, that's just a bonus. But, I, you know, it's always been a dream of mine to be able to play in the NHL. And 
And like you said, I was so fortunate that Carolina took a chance on me a year after my draft year. I obviously didn't really have any expectations of going after after my you know my original draft year passed over. So the fact that they did take a chance on me and um, I didn't really know a whole lot about the team or the organization at the time being from, you know, southwestern Ontario. I was born and raised a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. So that's all I kind of knew is a Canadian market. But um, ever since coming down here for the first time in 2015, uh, I just kind of started to fall in love with it and being able to to really live here full time now and, and meet the people. Um, I mean, we can't really go out and do a whole lot, but just the locals, even my apartment complex and guys such as yourselves, just Canes fans in general are just so welcoming and supporting. And you guys really do have such a diehard fan base and we really feel that love. So it's so nice to be a part of this Canes family. Um, I mean, maybe in the hockey world, people might view it as small, but it's so tight knit and, and close. And I, and it's, it's to me, it's, it's big. So um, I can't say a bad thing about it. And I just love every second of this. So um, I'm trying not to take it for granted. I know one day it's, it's going to be in the past, but I'm just trying to cherish it all and, and uh, make every memory count. I do have uh, one question for you, and this might, you know, kind of add to the, not necessarily the legend, but kind of like the story that is becoming, you know, the Stephen Lorenz story as a Carolina Hurricane. You know, um, a source told me, and I'm not going to say who because it might embarrass you, um, <laughs> that uh, during your draft year in the OHL, you were no more than 5'8", 5'7"-ish in your draft yeah. year. And now yes. you're what, 6'4"? I'm about 6'4", yeah, 210 pounds. And I think I was drafted at 5'9", 135 pounds. So I was the lightest kid in the wow. draft. And I remember wow. my draft year, my coach, he put those stats on. I think it might have been like 138. But when you're 138 and the coach puts you down at 135, you're like, come on, just bump me up to 140. <laughs> like, I need you to – I need all the favors I can do here. But he, he's like, no, no, like, trust me, like, I'm doing you a favor. You might not know it now. And I was like, come on, man, like, that's, that's bull crap. Like – just bump me up. Like, I, I got to look good here. I got to look like I'm big. He's like, and little did I know, regardless of the time, 135 or 140 is just your little, little, yeah, a little shrimp. But <laughs> I was fortunate enough. Both my parents were late bloomers. So eventually I, I did take off and I hit that growth spurt the year I played major midget when I, I didn't make the uh, junior B team in town. And I was just trying to figure out basically how to tie my shoes without, you know, I was so uncoordinated and um, I had to figure out that, that, little growth spurt and, and put the tools together a little bit but I was fortunate enough to go into my 17 year old year my second year of junior and uh, make the OHL team there so um, yeah there were there were times there was honestly there were some sleepless nights there was nights where I would come home from the rink crying just because some guys were just that, that I was better than when I was young um, they were bigger and stronger and they would just knock me off the puck and I knew it was it was so stressful for me because all I ever want to do is play hockey so when you come home from hockey practice and they're were guys that I thought I was better than they were pushing me around. I was just like, come on, when am I going to grow here? Like someone's got to, or something's got to happen here where, you know, I can, I can start beating these guys again. Cause they're just like, this, this shouldn't be the case. My whole life I was, you know, kind of up here. And then these guys just caught up. It's like, I don't, I'm not, uh, I'm not liking this too much, but eventually all things fell into place. And, and I mean, here we are right now, it's kind of funny looking back, but at the time I definitely was a little bit nervous and upset. <clears throat> So, uh, Stephen, you did mention that uh, you were a bit of a late bloomer. Um, obviously, you were undrafted in your first year of eligibility. But um, so in your draft year, um, in your, I guess, your second year of eligibility leading up to the 2015 drafted, did you, were you really contacted by the Hurricanes at all? Did you really have um, any feeling whatsoever that, you know, maybe they were interested in you or were you kind of just, you know, hoping someone took a chance on you? 
man, I had no idea. I, I had no idea at all. The first year my the draft went around, I remember a coach pulling me into the office after the year and he said, you don't know how close you were to be drafted by the Edmonton Oilers. And I was like, whoa, like, really? Like, they almost – he's like, yeah, they, they almost used you as their seventh-round pick, and that would have been the 2014 draft. And I was like, whoa, that's pretty cool. Like, hmm, like, I don't know. I, I never – it was cool to hear that, but it was never like, okay, maybe next year – they might take a chance on me again. I just kind of went into that season like, okay, well, have a good year and who knows what's going to happen. And um, never, never expected Carolina um, to end up picking me. I didn't hear from them throughout the draft. All I knew was that we traded for a guy that season, Kyle Jenkins, who was a seventh-round pick. Yeah. And um, I knew that the player development guy, Corey Stillman, obviously a a notable hurricane and a guy who lives in Peterborough – he was around the rink and stuff like that. So I guess he would come to the games and it never really clicked until afterwards. I was actually drafted that, uh, that I guess he was watching closely every single game and he was reporting back to the Canes, I guess. So um, it was a, f- a bit of a funny story. I was at my cottage and I had mono during the draft and it was the second day, of the first round of coming on. And obviously uh, I usually watch the first round just to see some of my buddies go. And I was laying downstairs and I got a text from my agent and he said, congratulations, you've been drafted by the Hurricanes. And I was sick at the time. And his number didn't come up, or his name didn't come up on my phone. It was just his number. So I put the phone down. I was like, okay, someone's screwing with me right now. This isn't very <laughs> funny. <laughs> like, whatever. So I put my phone down for about 10, like 5, 10 minutes. And I was like, who was that? Like, that's not really nice. <laughs> this is like my life. I've, always, or I've only ever wanted to be drafted. And someone's screwing with me right now. And then as soon as I opened my phone, I had about a hundred text messages. And then I, I'll never forget walking upstairs and looking at my dad. And one of my buddies got drafted in the sixth round, Brett Sini to New Jersey. And my dad goes, did you hear Sini got drafted? And I said, yeah, well, dad, guess what? I just got drafted. Ah, and he yeah. just, he was just like, what do you mean? I was like, yeah, I just got drafted. And I think he almost fell over. My mom was outside working. He yelled outside and um, we were able to celebrate a little bit. I was obviously not feeling so great. So I, maybe didn't celebrate as much as I would have liked to, but um, I, I was just so ecstatic to be able to get picked and recognized. So um, yeah, I'm so happy I was a Carolina hurricane too. Like the organization just, you know, they've, they've given me a chance to, to succeed that. Um, I mean, I, I'll give myself credit. I did work to get to where I am, but you know, they gave me the opportunities and put me in the right spots where I was able to, to work my way up through the ranks. And again, here we are today. So everything worked out in the end. So um, obviously you dreamed of playing in the NHL your entire career and you're breaking through in this season. So no fans in the stands until recently. And it's just probably not exactly what you had in mind. So what's it kind of been like for you breaking into the NHL during COVID? It's, it's different. I mean, you'll be be breaking the (laughs) NHL once, right? So I can't, I can't say it's, it's like this or like that because um, I mean, I played a preseason game a couple last year and, I mean, there was probably about the same amount of fans, maybe even a little more in preseason. But, um, I mean, scoring my first goal in preseason last year was like the coolest thing I ever did up until, you know, this season. I was just like, I remember, I was like, that even if I if I could have died the next day and been like the happiest guy ever, it was just so cool to be able to, in an NHL game with like like guys like Sergachev and Hedman in the lineup and, and I scored a goal. I was like, man, this is so cool. Like, I really felt like that was kind of a moment where I was like, okay, well, I'm a Carolina Hurricane. It's preseason, but I'm putting this jersey on. It's a real, real NHL jersey. I'm playing with, you know, like 
Sebastian Alves in the lineup. We got Svechis in the lineup. We got some big names. Like, this is the NHL. This is a real deal. And that's kind of when I really realized that you know, I could – if I have a good year, like, there's a chance I could, you know, maybe get some games at the end of the year or maybe have a sniff and just play a few NHL games. Like, this would be really cool. And then went down to Charlotte, and my coach there was – he was so awesome. He gave me every opportunity to succeed, and he put me on the power play. And he called me before that training camp, actually. He said, look, we lost a lot of guys. I think we lost 15 guys from that Calder Cup team, which, I mean, those were all good buddies of mine. But at the end of the day, that just paved the way for, for a guy like myself who might not have been as high up in the depth chart to just leapfrog kind of right close to the top. So um, Warzy called me, and he just said – you're going to get all the opportunities. It's just a matter of how you deal with it. And uh, I was fortunate enough to, to get some, some chemistry with uh, Dave Gus and, and Kukinen. And we kind of just took off and, and we went from there. So I think it was about maybe a little past halfway through the season. Where I was like, man, there's a really good chance. I might be able to get a call up here. So I was just, I was pushing every day. I was trying to work as hard as I could, but I mean, I wasn't really playing for that call up. I was just so happy coming to the rink. I mean, when you're when your team's doing good and your line's doing good and it's just so much fun coming to the rank. It's just you can't really describe the feeling. It's not really it's it's never really a job. The bad days are the bad days, but when, when things are going good, it's like you're on cloud nine every single day. It's the coolest thing. For the Canes right now, I mean, it seems like everything's kinda of running well, you know. Um it seems like your line especially has kind of been one of the more consistent lines, you know, you, Cedric Paquette and Jordan Martinuk, kinda of, um I don't want to call it the face punching line, but that's, you know, kind of what it is. You get, you kind of get in their faces. It's the pain in the ass line, the PETA line. Like, yeah. you know, you guys get under the skin of the, the opponents and could you guys kind of walk through, or could you like walk through the mindset of being on that line and kind of what your responsibilities might be? Yeah. I mean, it's like, we don't really need, and, and Roddy's not a coach who's going to sit you down and, and, talk to you for an hour and let you know like we're professionals and he knows that we know what we need to do like we're here for a reason and you get to this level and you don't have to change your role they know what you're capable of doing and that's why you're in the position that they put you in so I knew I wasn't going to come up and you know play 20 minutes a night on the power play and stuff like that so I knew that in order to earn the coach's trust you got to be able to do the things that you know he preaches to every single guy whether it's you're a superstar or you're a fourth line player and that's you know win your battles at the lines get pucks out when you need to get them out and don't turn, you know, don't turn pucks over at the far blue line and just hustle all around. Just He told me before my first game, he just said, if everything else fails, if you have the worst game ever, just work your work your balls off. And that's all you can do. If you come out of there and you worked worked as hard as you possibly can, then that's all we ask. And that's probably some of the best advice I've ever been given. You know, being a kid ready for your NHL debut and and you're just, you don't know what to think. It's It's a weird year. It's a pandemic and there's no fans. And it's just like... Um, you don't really know what's going to happen. Um, he just said, yeah, go out there. You're here for a reason. Go play your game. Work as hard as you can. Things will be fine. And I talked to Marty. And, um, I mean, my first game, I, I played with Jordo And I forget who was on the other side. But we, they, like, Jordo was great. He pulled me aside and he just said, look, kid, just, just get me the puck. Back to our white tape, blue stick, and then things will all be good. <laughs> and and we, we we found a little bit of chemistry there, and I, I played a decent amount my first couple of games, obviously with a few guys out of the lineup. But um, after that, once my feet were wet, I was just was like, okay, well, you know, this isn't just a league where I can play a few games here and there on spot duty. Like I think I can contribute here. So um, I think Roddy just kind of placed me in that fourth line role after the regulars came back, and, and we just kind of got the ball rolling when 
you know, whenever we needed a shift, maybe after a goal or, or after a TV timeout or something like that, we needed some energy. He put that, that line out there and uh, of Marty and uh, Pax and I, or Seti and I, and we would just go out there and, and, you know, hit dudes and, and generate some energy <laughs> and, and play it down in their end. And it just seemed like with each passing game, we were gaining more and more chemistry. And I was just becoming more familiar with, you know, Marty's and, and Seti's tendencies. And it just makes it easier all around when you know where guys are going to be, obviously. So um, that's been working well. And, and that's, you know, uh, something that we don't really want to get away from. Like, obviously, we're having success right now. And, and it's success where it's not, you know, it's not, it's not pretend success. It's just honest, hard work. And sometimes you get lucky breaks and, and this and that and, and things go your way. And it's just like, well, we got away with one there, but I think, you know, we're just working, outworking the other teams, whatever, you know, whatever line we're out against, whether it's, it's our fourth line matchup or sometimes we might get stuck out there against a second or a third line. And we just, we just take notice. We say, Hey boys, like look at the matchup, like good F3 responsible guys. And, and then things, you know, usually end up going in our favor. So, um, as long as we keep that up and we don't really let off the gas. And I think we're going to have success, you know, moving forward, being that energy line whenever, you know, we're, whenever we're needed and, and we can be relied, relied upon for, uh, you know, for that, for that energy and maybe even a point here and there, a couple goals. So we'll see. Hey, don't downplay yourself, bro. You had a sick goal yesterday. And by the oh, way, thank that, you. Backhand, that little backhand dish to Pesci last night was dirty. I'm just gonna say that. <laughs> I, honestly, when I saw it hit his stick, I was like, "Yo, okay, that's like one of the best passes I made." And I did that, and I like, that's pretty sick. I'm like, "He better go far down right now." And then he ended up—I don't know if he—I didn't get hit the D stick when the netting. I was like, "Are you kidding?" Um, it must obviously be a huge help uh, to you, and well, not only to you, but the entire team in general to have uh, a coach like Rod Brendamore, who you know he played the game at the highest level. He's won a, a Stanley Cup. Um, he's played in the league for so long, uh, which kind of leads into my next question of. Uh, growing up or even, you know, kind of today, who in the NHL um, have you kind of modeled your game around and said, you know, um, I think I can learn a lot. And if I kind of play the same style as this guy, I think I can have success in this league. Is there anyone that you've kind of, um, I don't know, I guess, idolized uh, since you were a kid? I mean, I, I've i always liked um, to idolize like different players for the, you know, the different skills that they bring. Like I'll, I'll look at guys, it, it's weird, but I'll look at guys like, bigger guys obviously I won't really look at like a like a uh, Nathan Kirby or like an Arvidsson kind of player who's a little smaller like I'll look at a guy who's like big and, and skilled obviously out of my my class like like Malkin and I'll see the stuff that he he does and I'll see you know the the way he stick handles and just little tendencies when he passes pucks through guys like the triangle under the, between their skates and their stick and and just where his eyes are when he does stuff but then I'll also look at a guy like like Adam Lowry on uh, on Winnipeg who's just just brute force and, and then you kind of put those things together and you look for like an all around player. And I kind of look at, it's so easy to look at a guy like Jordo on our team. Who's, you know, obviously is just on fire right now. He's a man on a mission and, and it's so easy to look at that guy's game and say, that's exactly how I want to be like, I mean, he brings the offense. He brings that leadership that, that, uh, you know, this team, you know, relies on, we got a younger group and there's, you know, four or five real good solid veteran leaders in that locker room who, who, you know, us younger guys can look up to on, off ice stuff, on ice stuff, any kind of pointers we need, those guys are our go-to guys. So it's tough not to look at a guy like that. And he's obviously a bigger guy. Um, and I mean, he, he can play that power forward role, even if the puck's not going in for him. And that's the big thing. The puck's not always going to go in and bounces aren't always going to go your way offensively. So you need to be able to bring another tool or tools um, to your toolbox where the coach can continuously, you know, keep putting you out and, and rely on you and, you know, another, um, 
area of the game. If he knows, you know, you're a little bit snake bit and the puck's not going in, but you can go out, win that D zone face off and get the puck out. You know, that's how you get your minutes still too. You know, he knows you might not go down and, and split the D and go bar down. But um, if he knows he can win you a face off in the final minute of a hockey game, then, you know, those are minutes that, uh, that are precious. So um, it's little things like that, that I kind of look toward or look forward to, to being in that role someday. And, and I'm just trying to learn every, every little detail I can from, from a guy like him and, and I'll watch clips on, on what he does versus what I do. Um, you know, our coaches have like the laptops and the iPads so we can look at our shifts whenever we want. And, and I just try and if I have questions, I'll just go ask him and he's obviously an open book and I can approach him with anything. So um, baby steps, um, hopefully I'll get there someday, but in the meantime, I'm just trying to learn as much as I can. And I know I've only played, was it 14 games now, but I mean, a month or a month and a bit ago, I, I had zero games and, and you know, we're, we're getting there. So um, I'm happy to be in the position I am right now. And I'm like I said before, I'm trying not to take anything for granted. And I'm just having so much fun learning from, you know, some of these elite, elite level athletes who I used to watch when I was a kid, too. So it's pretty cool how it's come full circle like this. Yeah, you've definitely earned it, man. Thank Seriously, you. I you've been doing that. a great job, bro. Yeah, keep Thank it up, you. and we know we'll see a whole lot more games from Steven Lorenz here in uh, the coming years. We're excited to have you here, buddy. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for having me on. Huge thanks to Steven Lorenz for coming on the podcast. I mean, oh, it's boy. it's one of those things where, like, you know, you obviously have a very talented athlete, and you obviously have a player who should be an NHL player for a long time, but it, it's almost as important that he's this nice of a person and this great of a guy, because I mean, you want that culture on your team. And so we, we can't be thankful enough for him to come on this podcast. And he's super easy to talk to too. And I, I feel like the best interviews are when like people answer questions you don't even ask. Like I had yeah, questions written yeah. out that he got to anyway. Yeah. Like that's like, look, that's what I was saying. It's so easy to talk to him. It makes it so easy as an interviewer to just sit there and let him do the talking so yeah, yeah you know, seriously and, thank you so much well, what a what a vote of confidence to us say eh? him saying that uh, <laughs> he actually listens to our podcast i did, yes. didn't, ex- didn't expect that but man listen you know, to, on the, the, on the the to all of us here if he was gonna come on he probably thought he needed to we're on here saying a bunch of crazy shit but right like, <laughs> this ends up being a conspiracy theory podcast like some people thought we were at the beginning so you're saying we were basically uh, a pity listen absolutely he listened because he had to yeah you know i'd I'd like to think that uh you know we do a decent job and i think we're we're kind of worth listening to so i'm I'm gonna stick with that but oh we're good absolutely not biased at all and you're the most (laughs) humble person ever yes sir yes sir so i think you know we're, we're close to being halfway done with the season and i think one thing that we do need to kind of talk about is like our big and like in our opinion, what's the biggest standout or something that's maybe stuck out to you guys through one half of the season. And for me personally, it's, it's gotta be the Carolina Hurricanes center depth. I mean, you obviously have Sebastian Ajo who is producing at a hell of a rate right now. And even, even though he's not like up to his usual standard, he's still putting up the points, you know, like the fact that even on, a season where he might be kind of having like a bit of a quote down year. And I'm using air quotes when we're on zoom. It, he's still able to dominate and put up those points. And it's ridiculous that we have a player that's this talented on our team. And then you have Vincent Trocek. And I mean, how perfect of an addition has Trocek been to this team? You know, you can't say enough about him. Right. Like he leads. I, th- I think he still leads the team in goals. If I'm not mistaken, he's, he's- 
yeah. just on just outside the top five in the NHL um, in goals. And he's so. one of the only players in this division or in a non-North division that's doing this well. And they should be disqualified from awards at the end of the year. You could say that about the Central, though, because there are only really three teams. I, Dallas, like I, I looked today, Dallas is bad this year. Chicago's been a pretty good surprise, though. Chicago's good. And they're still bad. <laughs> yeah, they're, I mean, let, let's see about Dallas. They, they got the a lot of stuff, talent, but though. they yeah. with some COVID, too. They're trying to figure it out, but we'll, we'll yeah, see. Yeah, but like, Trocheck has been. Pain in the ass. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> has been easily one of the best additions that Don Waddell has made as GM. Like you could argue that Dougie Hamilton has been his most important addition, and you know there's there's definitely a case to be made for that. You could argue um, about a, a whole number of players, but I mean the fact is Trocheck has been a perfect fit for this team. He's leading the team in at least goals, it might be points as well, and just the fact that you have. Trocek and Ajo as the one-two punch at center is phenomenal. And I don't know if we have any wrestling fans here, but we might as well start calling Jordan Stahl the limitless one. It is time to bask in the glory of this Jordan Stahl season. Because this is a guy who, and it's like a breath of fresh air. It's like, finally, we're getting offensive Jordan Stahl, you know? I don't know how many years we've been waiting for Jordan Stahl to just kind of go full beast mode. That's really how he's been this season. I mean, he picked the team up and put them on his back last night. Yeah. And this was the the game against Nashville on Tuesday night. If you're listening to this later on, the Canes were terrible and Jordan Stahl picked that team up and carried them to a victory, a three, two overtime win. And even, even to the post too. Right, yeah, I mean, yeah. and and shout and out Victor to Ned. Everton uh, missing an empty Ned net. Was good too. Ned had Ned a great good. game, but yeah. I mean, the fact of the matter is, Jordan Stahl really is the heart and soul of this team right now, and when he's doing well, the team is going to do well. Just the fact that he, he's emerged as a leader this season, I mean, last year we kind of saw him struggle with the role of the captain at times, and like, you know, we could see the team kind of struggle to find their identity again after Williams left, but... This season, Jordan Stahl is unquestionably the leader of this team. He has unquestionably been one of the best Carolina Hurricanes. I'd argue he's been finally living up to that like 2C role in terms of offense that we've been wanting him to be in. And then you have, you know, you've been able to get Cedric Paquette. You've been able to get Steven Lawrence. Even Jordan Martinuk has taken, you know, some time at center. Like you have four centers contributing in the lineup and doing well in their role it's it's amazing how well this team has built at center yeah I mean you're definitely spot on with that and you know I kind of made a joke yesterday actually talking about how Jordan Stahl is not really doing anything differently it's just a regression to the mean and that all those chances and shots he missed over the years are going in all at once all of a sudden and I mean again it's actually something that Steven Lorenz kind of talked about. His game doesn't change. Like you can always count on him to be that same guy every single night. And you know, the points are just bonus with him. And it's a big reason why the hurricanes are one of the most dangerous teams in the league right now. I think, I think one thing that um, I would definitely say has uh, been a factor to him turning it around, uh, especially offensively is that the addition of Trocek and how good he's been is kind of taking a little pressure um, off his shoulders. Then the fact that he's not in the two C role anymore, 
Um, this he's is not the really role relied we've been on. For. Exactly, he's not relied on in, um, in an offensive role anymore. Um, he is playing net front on the power play, which, I mean, he, he's contributing there as well. He's just contributing in all areas. Um, I, I don't really love him on the ice at three on three overtime, but when he's scoring, I mean, how how can you really fault there, right? So I, I just I do think that you know, the the addition of of Vincent Trocheck has been just as big for Jordan Stahl as it has been for the Hurricanes as a whole, because now he's finally in the role that he should have been in this whole time. And I mean, we're, we've seen how well it's paid off. How dare you slander the Jordan Stahl face-off win and skate to the bench? Dude, that's a big play. Puck possession is everything. Oh my like, God. Right. I'm, <laughs> not, I'm fine with, but as Twitter. far as him playing legit minutes in overtime, <laughs> I, I, I would prefer other guys out there realistically, oh, but but when, the joke like, was when, just when right he's there. yeah, of, of course. But I mean, when he's <laughs> when he's scoring, I'm not gonna fault it, right? So, high percentage plays in overtime, boys. Good grief. You know what's and another <laughs> thing that like kind of is contributing to the Canes' center depth is that the power play has been the best it's been in not even recent memory, like just ever. <laughs> I can't you know remember what the a time. Crazy part is too is that half the time the power play just doesn't look good but i think they're a top 10 maybe top five unit uh in the nhl last i checked they were like fourth yeah so the fact that they can still look so mediocre at times but still be having that kind of success it just shows you the kind of skill they have on this team now the amount of times they've finished a power play in the first 10 seconds of it is insane yeah well that just speaks to like kind of what we talked about all year it's like even when the hurricanes aren't at their best they have so many like dangerous players they can win anyway and it has not been like that. You know, I've, I've heard a lot of the announcers and stuff say that too. It's like in so many years, they had to play such a perfect game to win and outwork the other team and just everything had to go right. And it's not like that anymore. You know, they've got Aho and Sveshnikov and Trocek and Niederreiter, all these guys that can, you know, punish other teams for mistakes. And they can kind of sleepwalk through half a game or two periods. And all of a sudden they win the damn game anyway. <laughs> Sometimes it's frustrating to watch, but I mean, you can't really complain, can you? One other thing I'll say about the center depth before I move on to my takeaway from the beginning of this year. Um, the best part about those three guys is that they're almost interchangeable the way they're playing right now because they're all three fantastic defensively. We've talked at length about Ajo's development in that end of the ice. Trocek, great two-way centerman, been really good on the penalty kill at times this year. And then, of course, Stahl. So I think that goes a long way, especially when you're on the road and you know the other team has last change you don't have to worry quite so much about matchups. But anyway, my takeaway from this season so far is the depth and more specifically the young depth of this organization. So, cause we have seen three players come up, Jake Bean, uh, Alex Nadelkovich and Steven Lorenz. And really all three of them have fit in seamlessly. Nadelkovich has a what? Nine twenty six say percentage right now, something like that. And he's been fantastic. Um, Moved to 5-2-1 on the season last night. I'd argue he's been the better of the two goalies. You know, Grimer has had a couple of decent games, much better games actually recently, but Nadelkovic has been exactly what the doctor ordered since Peter Mrazek went down. You've got Jake Bean, who has basically filled um, Jake Gardner's role to a T. And I said on Twitter multiple times last night, like he was, last night was probably his best game in the NHL from my where I sit defensively he was winning battles he wasn't afraid to get into the corners and mix it up with guys a little bit um 
he's really you can see the progressions he's making as the season goes along and he gets more comfortable. And Stephen Lawrence, I mean, he's filled that fourth line role fantastically, and he's another guy that looks to be getting more comfortable. And you know, I mentioned that little backdoor pass he made last night like he's starting to get a little bit more confidence and making plays and I've said all along he's got offensive skill in his game and we're going to see that eventually and everybody everybody who's worked with Florence in the past has said like there's more to give offensively in his game he's just getting comfortable and like it will come well I mean um, you, you saw him deployed um in a top six role last year in Charlotte and he produced pretty well I, th- I think when when he was one of the team's stopped. leaders in points. I, I, I was going to say, when, this, when the season was stopped, I thought he was leading them in points or maybe yeah, goals. 23 goals, 46 points. So I, I do think he has a little more to give as well. And that's on a Charlotte team that, you know, for the first 20 games or so really yeah. struggled. They struggled to score. And really, Lorenz was kind of one of the only consistent players on, in that lineup. I mean, in my opinion, at least, um, when I got to watch them. It was like... Lorenz always stood out. He was always hustling. And I mean, that's going to pay off. And, you know, I want, I still want to see him in more of the penalty killing role because I think he can be a shorthanded weapon. He's got the motor. He's, he's a good enough skater. And I think, I think eventually we'll see him settle into a really nice role with the Yeah, I definitely um, agree with both of you, both your points. Um, Matt, you with the, the center depth has just been phenomenal. And Brandon with, you know, the, the young players who've all impressed, especially, uh, as you said, Jake Bean in the game against Nashville, he was fantastic. You know, shameless flurry plug here. But, I mean, that pairing as a whole was fantastic. I thought that might have been maybe their best game together in general. And I've, like, obviously been very high on that that pair um, since they started playing together. I just think, you know, their, their skill sets complement each other very well. And I, I do think I could see, you know, them growing together in the future. But that also leads me into my positive takeaway from the season, which would be, Alex Nedeljkovic, um, you know, after how long we've waited for him and tracked the development of the player and, you know, how high the expectation has been all along. Going back to last year, he finally got in a couple games and we saw, you know, kind of a glimpse of what he could be. He was a little inconsistent, but I mean, it was only, what, a three or four game sample size. But now that he's really kind of kind of settled in, he's finally got a legitimate role on the team right now as the backup or I guess you could say the 1B because him and Reimer are kind of splitting starts right now. But I think it's it's apparent for anyone who's watching the games and Nedeljkovic just looks a little sharper than Reimer. Um, even in the games he's lost, he's 5-2-1 like you mentioned with a 9.26 save percentage. But even in the games he's lost, you know, he's given the team a chance to win and he's arguably been amongst their best player in all eight games he's played in. And I think, you know, um, especially now with the – the UFA group six kind of scenario that's played into the entire situation that kind of, you know, kind of complicates things a little more for next year because he's not a restricted free agent anymore. Cause I'm assuming he won't play in another 13 of the 31 games that are left. So basically group six unrestricted free agents are players that could be restricted free agents. So players that are under 26 years old, that have not met the requirement of NHL games played yet in their career um, to still remain a restricted free agent. So the team could just like qualify them and sign them to a one-year deal and then send them to the AHL. Basically the way somebody described it is it's an out for players whose team have no intention of playing them in the NHL. So they can seek an opportunity elsewhere if they so choose. Yeah. So Ned, in order to retain 
Um, his restricted free agent status has to play in, I believe, 13 more games. As of Tuesday's game, basically 13 more games. Out of um, the 31 that are left. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, where I was kind of going with this is that, um, you know, so it's it's quite likely that he's not going to get in those games, so he will probably be an unrestricted free agent at the end of this season. And, you know, him going to unrestricted free agency and having a chance to sign with anybody, I mean, I think – um, based on how he's played this year, at least up till now. I mean, we'll see how the rest of the year goes, but I think he's definitely earned um, a chance to at least garner some interest around the league. So I think um, the Hurricanes at this point would probably have to offer him at least a spot on the roster to be one of the two goalies. And you know what? Based on the play, um, I think he should probably be offered a little more than that. You know, probably a chance to at least compete for the starting role. I mean, it's a little early to try and commit to that. It's been eight games, but I mean, from what we've seen, you know, I definitely think there's some real upside there if he can keep this up. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think he's definitely been my bright spot. I've always had a high faith in the kid. And, you know, I think we're finally seeing what we what, what kind of the Hurricanes have been developing this entire time. He's a very composed goalie at net. And, you know, he makes the big saves at the timely times that you need those saves. Um so, yeah, you know, I think he should – at this point, I obviously think he's earned the backup role over James Reimer, and I think he should definitely be in the equation moving forward, especially, you know, Peter Morozik and James Reimer are both unrestricted free agents. There's been a lot of talk about maybe will this, the Canes resign Morozik, but I can't see James Reimer back under any condition. Would Rod want a, a pairing of Morozik and Nedeljkovic? That's – you might give him a heart attack, but at the end of the day, I think they're two quality goalies that could probably – inspire a little optimism um as a pairing but i just think that nadelkovich has been you know exactly um as advertised and he's kind of earned his place um in the crease as far as i'm concerned yeah and just to kind of combine you and i's a little bit this is really just the tip of the iceberg for the hurricanes and why it's so exciting to be a hurricanes fan right now because that young depth, like I was talking about, is just going to continue over the next few years with all the young prospects that are coming up. You know, Seth Jarvis, who looks like the next star Hurricanes forward. I mean, you got the list of prospects. Yeah, exactly. All over the place. It's just endless. Right. It's really exciting time to be a Canes fan. That's all. I mean, yeah, you have you have (laughs) Jarvis, but not only that, you've got Jack LaFontaine coming up. You've got Jamison Reese. You've got Ryan Suzuki, who at his ceiling could be a very good player. You have Tuka Tiexala, who, in my Lighten opinion, if he hits his ceiling, is the next Tevo Teravainen. He's been so good lately, too. I agree. And I, I, I say that with full confidence, that if he hits his ceiling, that, I mean, that's an if still, because, you know, it's a small, a sam- well, small-ish sample size. But, you know, like... If he does hit his ceiling, Tiaxel is absolutely the next Teravainen. And so, like, you have all these pieces in the system. You have all these draft picks that you're going to be using, you know. And just given how the Canes draft, I mean, it's going to be good. Like, Thank you, Tulski. Very... We love you. Darren York and his scouts do an and excellent yes, job as well. Too. Like, it's just a really exciting time to be a Canes fan. And I think the one thing that we... Should probably mention, I, I don't want to spend too much time on it because I feel like Kane's Twitter kind of beat it to death, is the Dante Fabro hit and how you kind of respond to that. Because, I mean, 
the NHL, the way the schedule works, kind of gives you an opportunity to respond to that in the next game, you know? Like, Dante Favreau left his feet, elbowed Brock McGinn in the face, and he, he did receive a two-game suspension for that. But... Which is deserved and arguably yeah. maybe not enough. It's just, it's, it's a ridiculous play. I mean, obviously part of it has to do with him being a first-time offender. Yeah. And I think, I think yeah. it kind of worked out because if, it was a, if they called it a major in the game, he probably would have only gotten a game. Yeah. Or a fine. NHLPA loves their fines. But well, how do you respond? Like, what are the Canes going to do? Are they just going to let it slide and just kind of go out and play their game? Well, I, I would like to see a very physical game. I don't think that's too much to ask, right? Yeah. But the, and it's not just the Fabro hit to me. Now, okay, all right. I got some pushback because I said the hit by Philip Forsberg on Andre Svechnikov was not dirty. It's not. It's a reverse hit. It's. I don't think he was trying to elbow him, him in the head. He had his elbow tucked. He just kind of backed into him and Svech leaned forward to try to swat at the puck. He put himself in a bad situation. He did. Like, uh, he he put no himself reason. in a bad situation, but I mean, he was leading with the elbow. Come on, he it was if, kind of unfortunate. Like, into him, it's an he unfortunate play. But if you look at it from any angle, his elbow was out in front of him, and he's leading with the elbow. He mm-hmm. that might have not been the initial point of contact, but he's still leading with the elbow. And Svech is also coming from behind. Him. I don't agree with that. But so yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't think I don't think anyway. It was a dirty I, hit. I don't think it was malicious. Like I don't think I don't. it was malicious at all. But. I mean, you, you just you got to be more careful there. You got to be more aware. Well, it's the NHL. You can't expect guys to be like, "Oh, you're putting yourself in a bad spot. I'm not no, going to hit I, you." Like, I I know, but you can't. You also can't <laughs> be leading with your elbow, right? Oh, all right. Anyway, the no matter how Storm you see the play, fights one another. Episode six. <laughs> it's all, to, it's all we're allowed to disagree. It's all it's all love. Fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're allowed to disagree with each other once in a while. But anyway, no matter how you see that, he still decked your best or not your best player because I was. One year still holding on to that crown. But your young superstar forward, I don't like that nobody responded to that. No, I, I wish somebody would have. And I don't want you to take a penalty or a retaliation penalty, whatever the case may be. But at some point, you have to let other teams know that they cannot take liberties with your players or they're going to keep doing it. Yeah, if anything, I was more mad that they didn't do that after the McGinn hit. Like the hit on yeah, McGinn, yeah. excuse well, me. Well, that one too. Or the, McGinn, it happened there's multiple the Mc, times and there was like very little on-ice response. Yeah, the there's assault. the there's the McGinn hit, and then yeah, there's the the spirit in Eaterider's face, which just that I I almost think that play um oh. it it warrants just suspension almost more yeah I more mean, so than the hit um from Fabro because I mean just I mean my God just spearing a guy in the face like that like how reckless can you possibly be I mean yeah that's brutal I mean and, that guy was already on a parade to the box like all night yeah but, you know he it's just like you hit a guy in the face with a stick but it, it was deliberate yeah oh like, my god was not... it ever it's just it's just like that doesn't belong in hockey and i no. mean you're not you're not gonna get um like i i do i do think the hurricanes should have responded but you're not quite gonna get um you know a confrontation from i i guess like a michael ferlin type uh that they had or you look around the league maybe like a tachuk type or uh, you, well i'll use they ottawa as a comparable I, I mean but pocket's just not really that type of player i mean I, I always go to ottawa as a comparable but the other night uh josh norris kind of one of their young star forwards he came through center ice took a hit up high from an oilers forward that you know obviously the, it, it was it, it was pretty it was dirty but it wasn't nearly as blatant as either of the plays from last night's game i would say but 
you know, right away the Sens had Eric Goodbranson fighting the exact guy that that delivered the hit. But I, so I, I'm kind of I'm kind of torn on this because you don't want just um, an enforcer type. You don't want a guy that's just out there just to scare the other team, which is why I don't really consider Cedric Paquette a guy that, you know, strikes fear into the opposition. Like, I don't think any team is sitting there like, oh, we got to be careful what we're doing because we have to answer to Cedric Paquette. Um, right. I, but you want you still want a player who's tough like that but can also play the game. And, you know, Cedric Paquette's not the best player. Um but, you know, he can at least contribute. Now, I I mean, I don't think much of Eric Goodbranson as a player at all, to be honest. I think he's pretty bad. But <laughs> I don't think many Third people overall do. pick. That's, that's what he's there um, doing for the Sens, like right? And, I mean, he, Paquette is never going to be the type of, you know, like I said, uh, either Brady or Matthew to Chuck or even like a Tom Wilson type that's going to intimidate anybody. And they don't really have like the big type of power forward like the – Michael Furland or even like a Josh Anderson type who are going to, you know, physically go at an opponent. But I, I just, I, where I'm going with this is I kind of agree with you guys. I didn't like the overall response. You should have at least somebody stepping up to the plate to say, Hey, you know, you can't be, yeah, you can't be hitting our guys like that. Um, so I, I don't know. I didn't love the response overall, but we'll see what happens tomorrow. And I mind you, Fabro won't be in the lineup. So and I mean, well, I that guess... doesn't matter, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like even even still, you know what? Lay out Forsberg. You know, right. clean, good, hard, clean hit. That's what I'm asking for. I don't say cheap shot him or right. hit him high. Just hit <laughs> hit one of their best players. You know what? I mean, that's eye for an eye kind of thing. And yeah. I don't want there to be you know something super nasty. I'm not asking for an enforcer type. I'm just saying, you know, Justin Falk used to do that. Yeah. If he was on the ice and somebody decked Aho, whoever, he was there in a minute. Yeah, you know, I, I just would like to see something like that or just kick the shit out of them on the scoreboard. Yeah, that's I mean, the, the well, Hurricanes the aren't thing. the type of team to cross the line like that. So I don't I don't think we'll ever really have right. to worry about that. But On both – I'm pretty sure on both of the ensuing power plays, the Carolina Hurricanes scored goals. They did, yeah. Th- that's, so and that's, realistically, that's, that's anything, the best way to get back. Yeah, I was going to say, right. if anything, that's probably what they used as the retaliation. They were like, okay, I yeah. mean, if you're going to do this, boom, we'll score two goals on you real quick. And I mean, yeah. and end up winning the game. And that, that's yeah. what got us back in the game was their lack of discipline. That's, yeah. Because the Hurricanes didn't have much energy last night at all. And it's like, finally, you know, that it's kind of Nashville kind of played themselves with that. Like, they, they gave <laughs> yeah. the, the Canes the energy that they needed to win that game. Um, I, I will say one more thing, um, just kind of as far as the overall physicality of the team is concerned. I mean, I don't think they're going to really add a body um, to kind of try and help with that. They already got Paquette, and but I've I've seen um, rumors. I think it was from Ed, Elliot Friedman's Thirty One Thoughts. He said the Hurricanes are kind of you know sniffing around maybe for a more defensive type uh, defenseman. Um, so when you think of that, it's kind of a a bigger guy who can um, y- you know maybe stand up uh, for the team in that kind of a situation. The only thing that kind of worries me is, you know, you think back to the playoff series last year against Boston, um, the Hurricanes were just overmatched physically, especially guys like, you know, uh, Sebastian Ajo, Martin Natchez, they were kind of taken out um, of the series. They they didn't nearly have the kind of space and have the kind of impact that you need to beat a team like Boston. And, you know, those teams just keep getting tougher and, I, I don't think the Hurricanes are quite on that level yet. So I, I have a little bit of concern about how their skill will match up against that kind of toughness, um, when, especially when they get to the playoffs this year and things get, you know, things get kind of tighter overall. 
I think skill-wise they can compete with any team in the league, but will they be able to without kind of having that backing of, you know, overall toughness, the team toughness as a whole and size? We'll see. I don't think they should add anybody, but I do think that's an area that they should definitely try and grow in, especially going forward, maybe in their bottom six. I don't know how you guys feel about that. You know who the Hurricanes should add? Eric Craig Stahl. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah, I was going to say, you might hang up the call after that. No, seriously. You can't tell me that Eric Stahl wouldn't make this team better. He absolutely would. Where are you going to play him? It doesn't matter. You would have to probably move out of Fogel, um, maybe to make that happen. And play him where? Was put him on a line with Jordan. Yeah, and just be the, the, well, yeah he, he plays wing in Buffalo. Yeah, he does. He's played wing. I don't, I don't watch since, much Buffalo hockey. I couldn't tell you. I mean, I don't hate myself, <laughs> but I mean, he um he's played on the wing since he went to Minnesota, and he's been wildly successful there. And now that he's not mm. the guy on his team, I didn't watch much Minnesota yeah. either. To be honest with you, I mean, it's, it's just he he's a brand new person. He's playing hockey like he was, you know, twenty six. And I will say Minnesota's kind of fun now with Kaprizov and Erickson X. They got, right. they got some fun and players now. It's like Buffalo kind of ruins people, but it's like, I don't know. We'll talk about this more in the trade deadline episode. I, I just I'll think, say, I'll say you this. know what? Um, it might be fun. Just just a quick uh, insert on Stahl. I mean, I've watched a few Buffalo games this year. I have loyalties to, obviously, Jeff Skinner and Senators GOAT, uh, Curtis Lazar. So I've watched yeah. a few Buffalo games, and um, I haven't really noticed Stahl in a big way. I mean, that's not really saying anything bad about him. If he comes in and plays on your third line, I'm sure he can do a lot worse than that. And, you know, he has experience and he's had playoff success in the past. So I do think that would be a good addition. But like you said, we'll talk about that uh, maybe in a couple weeks from now. Yeah. yeah we got better candidates. I just wanted to stir the pot a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But so we've talked about the team. The uh, Canes are doing really well. They're currently, as of recording this, on a six-game win streak. And – you know what? Even with all that success, like we've got to talk about the future of the team because, man, it is bright right now. And I thought about a couple players. You know, we're doing the prospect of the week thing. I thought about a couple players. Um, I thought about Ponomarev again because he had another great weekend. I think he scored the game-winning goal and had a couple multi-point games. But the player that I think stood out the most is Zion Ebeck. And this is a guy that Kind of like Morgan Geeky, he took being loaned to a worse league personally and produced. He had five points in three games. And for the first, um, I think, four or five periods of play, his team scored four goals, and he factored in on all four of them. I mean, he was his team's offense, basically. And I think when you get a player who very clearly has a high amount of skill, and, I mean, you even saw his skating uh, looked not necessarily great, but he was able to keep up with players a lot bigger than him, which is something he hadn't been able to do. So it's just some stuff that I noticed this week where so he stood is, out. Is, is he in uh, the Swedish Junior League now? Or? No, he was loaned to the second tier league for three games and then played um, back with HV71 on Tuesday. Um, so okay. it was just so like a back brief with loan. the big club already. Okay. Maybe I just mean, to it, get, yeah, just to again, get it was one of those things where time. he got three games, scored five points, and his team was like, all right, you're back up with us. You know, like, and that's kind of what he needs. He needs that boost of confidence because, I mean, 
when he's producing, he is a very good player. Um, there were a lot of scouts that said they wouldn't have drafted him um, in this draft. And I think the Canes are one of the few teams in the league that can afford to take a chance on him, even in like the fourth round. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you've got a guy with high end skill and he's undersized. And when you couple that with the fact that he's only an average skater for somebody of his size, like that's usually a death sentence for prospects, even below, you know, five eleven. Um, so He's Zan Nivek is the prospect of the week because of his performance and just the the fact that I noticed legitimate growth in his skating. I think that that is going to have to improve in order for him to be an NHL player. Well, I mean, you couple his skating with, as you mentioned, he's undersized, and I think he's listed at 5'8", 170 pounds or so. And the 170 um, is generous. Yeah, I mean, he, he's definitely on the smaller side of prospects. I mean, you gotta you got to factor in that this kid is 18 playing in – you know, the top men's league in Sweden. So he's obviously up against real good competition. A lot of those guys are former NHLers, former AHLers. You know, there's a lot of good competition and room for growth. Um, I do think he he does have some real upside. He's got a wicked release, um, especially on his wrist shot. He can score from anywhere at any time. Mind you, he only has one goal in, I guess, 30-some games this year in the Swedish Elite League. Um He's definitely one for the future. I think he's definitely going to take quite a bit of time. Um, you couple that in with the fact he's never played on North American ice. So it'll definitely be an adjustment period. But as you said, you know, the Hurricanes can afford to take a chance on a guy like this and let him develop at his own pace. And, you know, maybe in the future, you'll have a player who can contribute for you. Now, you don't want to see him in the NHL for about five years. And that's that's not like saying like, oh, he's bad. It's like you want to have him develop that long. You want to have that long track of development. And I mean, right now, I think I haven't looked in a while. But last I checked, he was barely averaging over eight minutes a game, you know, and that's, I mean, it's playing time, but he's not going to grow as much as you'd like. And so the fact that he's already improving leaves me to believe that there's hope for next season and then he'll build on the next season. And then finally, you know, in his contract year, he'll develop into the player that, we thought he could be when he was drafted. Yeah, exactly. A few years down the line, you might have a player here and a guy that, you know, you can kind of assess where he is by then. Um, and on top of just uh, Zion Nebeck, I thought Ichu Maki Niemi had a pretty decent week. I mean, he, he made some incredible, he had some, he had some real highlight, real saves um, in Finland. And even with the signing of Beck Worm, I'm trying to still be, you know, as optimistic as I can be about, you know, the prospect maybe of the Hurricanes signing Makinami, even though I think the odds of that have kind of lowered, especially with Beck Warm in the system now. But I mean, I'll beat this I'll beat this topic to death. I just I love him as a prospect. And like I said, I think technically he might be the most skilled prospect in the organization as far as, you know, just raw talent goes as a goaltender. And I think he's got such a high ceiling to reach. Um we just you know, we just haven't seen it yet with him being stuck behind Lucas Dostal um, over in Finland and the lack of opportunity and even when he's had his opportunity, a little inconsistency and just trying to figure it out. I think, you know, as you mentioned, I think last week on the podcast that he's a guy that teams will definitely be calling about in a couple of years from now if the Canes don't sign him. I definitely think he's got real, real, real um, untapped upside as a prospect. And 
uh, I just I think the world of him as a player. I, I'm still holding out hope that the Hurricanes will sign him, especially, um, you know, after the development this year, even though it hasn't been on a consistent basis. I just I love him as a player and I wanted to give him a shout out as well because he's at, he's had a, a great week. The one thing I'll say is that in his last five starts, um, I'm pretty sure he's had a save percentage or in five of his last six starts, he's had a save percentage at least 0.95 or greater. Yeah, he's turning the corner at the right time. I mean, he, he's showing signs of why the Hurricane should believe in him and uh, sign him at this point. But like I said, there might just not be enough tape out there um, on him as a whole, uh, coupled with the fact that, you know, they just signed back warm and they're going to have LaFontaine in the organization next year. And, you know, Peter Kochikov, he's a bit of a question mark overall, but you have to factor him into the future at some point. Just it, it, it's it's not enough room, um, especially in the minors, for you know at least four goalies that you want seeing regular time um, if you have that belief in them. So, like I said, I'm not overly optimistic that they're gonna sign him, but I do think they should sign Makiniemi. At least you can assign him back to Ilves next year in Liga, and you know kind of let him have another year to develop as a starter. You've got nothing to lose by doing it. Um, and like I said, uh, I, I'm just I'm super high on his upside and potential as a whole. I, I mean, athletically, he's just he's super gifted as a prospect. We just need to see a little more from him as far as consistency goes. But I think as a potential NHL future, he's he's got a lot to offer. Once again, thank you all so much for joining us. We've had a ton of fun this first, I guess, about a month and a half we've been doing this now. We appreciate so much all the support we've gotten from you. I'm Brandon Stanley at BWStanley26. Alex O'Hari is at Future Canes. And Matthew Selma is at Canes Prospects. Again, thank you all so much. We will see you next week. And go Canes.